Welcome into the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside co-host Bruce Bernstein, and this is episode number 39, the Greg Ostertag episode, as the former Jazz Center famously wore double zero most of his career, but did switch to number 39, so teammate Olden Polonies could wear number zero for the Jazz during the 1999 through 2001 seasons. We're thrilled to be rejoined by a good friend of the show, three-time NBA champion and recent author, Scott Williams. So, Scott, I'm going to stop talking. How are you? And in honor of episode number 39, what do you remember about Greg Ostertag? Well, I hope Ostertag got a steak dinner for giving up his number to Olden Polonies, first of all. I remember when I gave mine up to Jerry Stackhouse, I didn't get anything, not even a gift certificate. So, uh, I hope he got at least a, a nice meal out of that. But... Ostertag, uh, obviously a big center, seven-footer, wide body, not the most athletic guy, but a space eater. We got out at it more uh, on the golf courses out here in Scottsdale. I was a member of Silverleaf. <laughs> he was a member of the, near, the the country club next door, D.C. Ranch. So we had a battle for see who was the biggest, uh, tallest golfer uh, in the area. <laughs> oh, wow. Very fun there. And uh you know, there might have been some betting on the golf court as well. Uh, don't have to comment on that, but just w- also want to let you know that Bet Online is a proud sponsor of the podcast and home to all sports bets. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games. You can play right on your, your own home, home phone. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. Be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive 50% welcome bonus off your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. And with that, let's start things off with our opening tip, Bruce. All right. You know, I never knew Greg Ostertag, but I actually had <laughs> Olden Polonese do a movie review for a show I did one time. That guy was a big movie oh, buff. Wow. So, I, so I actually sent a crew and he reviewed, <laughs> reviewed a movie. The, the feature didn't really go too far. We did like two or three of them all together and that was it. But Olden was one of the ones who did it. He was... Huge movie buff. So if you ever see Olden Polonies again, you know, I'm sure he won't remember it. Anyway, <laughs> my Boston Celtics head into Thursday's game six against Atlanta, leading the series three games to two. But in Boston, it feels like they're losing. Rarely has a team gotten more breaks in the postseason than they have this year. First, they get the Hawks in round one instead of the Heat. As you recall, the Hawks stole the seventh seed from Miami in the play-in game, so while the percentages said Boston would have played Miami, instead they got Atlanta. Huge break for Boston, as we saw the Heat embarrass the top-seeded Bucks. Sorry, Russ. <laughs> After taking a three-games-to-one lead against the Hawks, Boston got another break when DeJounte Murray, who was absolutely balling against the Celtics, got himself suspended for Game 5, all but dooming the Hawks' chances until Trey Young happened. So by finishing second behind Milwaukee, the Celtics will avoid the Heat and the Knicks in the second round. Another big break. And although Philly is a higher seed, they're a much better matchup for Boston. And speaking of Philly, the unstoppable Joel Embiid heads into the next round at less than 100% physically. Another potential break for Boston, if they even manage to get by Atlanta and play the Sixers. Boston's motto this season has been unfinished business. And while there's still my choice to win it all, there's plenty of unfinished business left with the Hawks. (laughs) And if somehow the Celtics don't advance, they have only themselves to blame because they've gotten more than their share of good breaks, including home court for the rest of the playoffs. Unfinished business indeed. That is right. Unfinished. It is as of right now, as we are taping here Thursday night. So we'll have to see how that game shakes out. Scott? Yeah, Boston's in a dogfight there in that first half and giving up 50 (laughs) points. What has happened to their defense? The Celtics' D needs to pick it up in the second half of that game. My, my, My early take is on Hemi Butler. I mean, oh, Jimmy Butler, excuse me. (laughs) That guy is him right now. I see what you did there. Fantastic. 
uh, through the early rounds of the playoffs, averaging over 37 uh, and a half points, leading all players and, and scoring average. He's done a little bit of everything defensively. He's made the big buckets when his team has needed him. Jimmy Buckets, Hemi Butler. Uh, this guy has absolutely been fantastic. I look for the Miami Heat to keep this momentum going with a well-coached uh, Eric Spolstra, who does not get enough credit, in my opinion. This guy is number five all-time on playoff victories, 100 playoff victories, tied right now with North Carolina's own Larry Brown. So, obviously, he was going to surpass Larry Brown, as I think the self excuse me, the Heat right now, have a ton of momentum, and I look for them to continue to roll in the playoffs. Awesome. Well said there, Scott, and uh, couldn't agree more. It should be fun to watch uh, Hemi Butler in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> As for me, I just want to you know, go ahead and uh, send out that friendly reminder that I warned all our listeners and NBA fans to buckle up for a wild playoffs, and wild has it been. I mean, from injuries to Kawhi Leonard to Giannis Antetokounmpo, Darren Fox to the Knicks in five, and even as of recently, the, the Heat in five. We've got a lot of change in the landscape and uh, really kind of goes a lot along the lines of like the NBA season. I mean, this NBA season was as unpredictable as it could have been. Obviously, hard to evaluate a lot of teams with the injuries and, of course, the problem with load management. But now we have un unforeseen injuries, teams starting to find their groove at the right time that weren't necessarily up there in the standings. And uh, I think we're going to continue to see uh, a lot of upsets in this that are very similar to a March Madness type NCAA tournament. So uh, really excited to continue to watch this and obviously break it all down with you guys here tonight. So let's get into the big order of business here in the first quarter as the Bucks go down in flames very quickly as Miami brought the heat in the big round one upset. And Bruce, I'll start with you. What were your Big takeaways, uh, seeing that the Heat pulled out that pivotal game five. Jimmy Buckets was a force of nature in this series, period. The closest we've seen to a Michael Jordan slash LeBron James type of performance as far as leading a team. This guy has swag out the wazoo. So I would just say, Dylan Brooks, you wish you had swag. Please take note, Dylan. That is what swag looks like. Scott, I'm yeah, sorry, I was going to say, Scott, you're I agree, I agree coach, wholeheartedly you know. of what Bruce has just said. And I want, I want to add again, the coaching element, having a team buy in and believe that an eighth seed Having a little Christ. bit of a technical thing. Okay, I think Scott's back. Oh, I didn't realize you guys had lost me. So I, yeah. I wanted to say, I'll start over. I'll say that. I agree 100% of what you said about Jimmy Butler. Uh, the guy makes big shots, big plays, um, but I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to say Eric Spolstra. Spolstra so far has been the coach of the playoffs. Having his eighth seeded Miami Heat believe that they could go in and knock off a number one seed in the playoffs, a team that had won double digits uh, victories in a row multiple times over the course of the regular season and shocked them not once, but twice in their own building. That was very impressive. Absolutely. And you know, a lot of people started talking a lot about Giannis's post game interview and the, you know, was this season determined to be a failure in, in his eyes? And uh, what I took most from that was not the viral video. It was what he said after that. He said that the Milwaukee Bucks went into this series obviously focused on winning a championship. Meanwhile, the Miami Heat went into the series focused on taking down the Bucks, and that's exactly what we saw in this series. I mean, this team really, they outplayed them. They outcoached them. They had every chess move ready to go and prepared for whatever the Bucks had going for them each night. And, uh, again, I can't say enough about Eric Spolstra and his staff. I think they did a great job, obviously, uh, you know, recovering with the Tyler Hero injury. I mean, Gabe Vincent was phenomenal, hit a huge transition three-pointer late in that game uh, on Wednesday night in game five on the road. And, uh, you know, for the Bucks, Scott, obviously being a former Milwaukee Buck big man yourself, I've got a question in regards to the uh, end of regulation play before overtime. 
uh, on the lob play where Bam Adebayo was subbed out by Eric Spolstra, and then Bud took out Brooke Lopez, who could have been defending the rim. What were, what were your thoughts agree. when that I happened? Did, yeah, I didn't agree with that. Watching that highlight again, having Antetokounmpo, your most athletic player, 45 feet away from the basket guarding the inbounds ball, that didn't make any sense to me. You want to put a big body on that ball, use an unathletic player like a Brooke Lopez and, and put onto the cupola under the paint. There's no way he gets pushed to the ground uh, the way Jimmy Butler manhandled uh, the other play, the other Bucks defender underneath the floor. I think it was Covington that was uh, down there underneath uh, the trying to, start, yep. trying to stop Jimmy Butler. Uh, that to me was a a vital mistake on that play. You you almost want to invite them an opportunity to try to shoot a long three, but not have a play at that at the rim. That was a, a a huge coaching blunder. I mean, Spolstra coached rings around, uh, Bud. Unfortunately for Milwaukee in this series, I mean, not calling a timeout with 0.5 seconds left where you can get the ball at half court. I mean. We've seen a ton of guys make shots with a half a second left when you have a set play out of a, a timeout. Even if it's a lob to Lopez near the rim, something, they could have gotten something. And it was just, to me, it was mystifying that that he just kind of, you know, took his timeouts and put them in his golf bag because that's where they're going, to the golf course with them. And, and the league came out today in regards to whether or not Jimmy Butler pushed off. And they actually said they missed the call and it was actually a foul on Connington. So that could have been a three-point play that would have ended things right then and there. Maybe for Bucks fans, they they would have hoped that happened because that overtime was really rough to watch. I mean, the Bucks didn't have I, I will, much I will add to that too, uh, Ross, and say that no player that's ever put on a pair of basketball shorts uh, in the NBA, wants the referees to get involved and decide the outcome of a final situation like that. You man up and you just live with whatever happens on the floor. I don't want a referee blowing a call either way in that situation. You have worked too hard. You have lifted too many weights. You have been in too many film sessions and on too many planes and buses to have some guy uh, in a striped shirt make the final decision on how that game's going to be called. They made a, a blunder on having Covington down on Jimmy Butler. It was a t- total mismatch. You know, Milwaukee really is 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 kind of at a crossroads at this point right now. I mean, because, you know, I think there's a really good chance that Bud's going to lose his job, fairly or unfairly. I mean, somebody's going to take the hit on this. But, you know, there's things that just kind of were working against him. I mean, look, Giannis missed two games, and he wasn't really himself. So, you know, he was out there playing on guts and, and you know, trying to, you know, give the team everything can give them. And towards the end, I don't know if you guys would agree with this or not, one of my favorite guys on that team is Drew Holiday. That dude was running on fumes at the end. Yes. He looked gassed. He just didn't seem to have the energy to do the Drew Holiday things that he usually does. Now, you know, he's guarding the shit out of people. We know that. He's getting, he's making clutch shots. He's making smart plays. But I don't know if there was anybody that could have given him a breather and taken some of his minutes. But he just looked exhausted uh, in, in, in the final game, really, pretty much for most of the game. And outside of the surprise of obviously Giannis's unfortunate injury, I think the second biggest surprise for this Bucks team was the fact that. Drew Holiday overall had a very disappointing series, especially offensively shooting the basketball, wasn't able to be efficient, wasn't able to take advantage uh, of his shot opportunities. And uh, given that he was the guy most of this season during their their very successful year, leading the league in wins, uh, he had typically been the guy that stepped up and provided the scoring in games Giannis did not play in. So not to have that and not to be able to rely on him offensively to go ahead and knock down shots really did hurt them on both ends of the floor because, of course, Miami did run on a lot of those misses as well. Well, a lot of a lot of questions to be answered in the offseason, no doubt about that. Um, I don't understand the final sequence there, having Giannis having to bring the basketball up the floor, got double team, had to give it up, and never got an opportunity to get the ball back in what I consider the MVP of the league this year. Uh, and then Grayson Allen, not quick enough athletically, to get his shot up over the top of the, that my, tough Miami Heat defense and, and get a 24-second uh, – well, it wasn't 24-second, but the game clock expires on them. That's just a tough thing to watch as a Bucks, as a Bucks fan um, to see them not get an opportunity to at least get a shot up on the rim. I have a question. Uh, again, it's more of an observation, but I'm curious what you guys think. 
did Bobby Portis disappear for a reason? I mean, he was solid in games one and two. He was decent in game three, but he was all but invisible in games four and five. He only scored a total of five points in the in the last two games after averaging more than 14 in the first three. I wonder, and I also wonder, what the heck did Udonis Haslam say to him that set him off like that? I mean, I mean, you know, Udonis Haslam is certainly a guy who could talk some smack, whatever. But, I mean, he doesn't even take his warm-ups up. I, I would love to know what he said to Portis. And I'd also love to know why Portis played it, like, 13 minutes in game, you know, in the game. I mean, you know, that seemed to me uh, uh, another, you know, mistake as far as uh, the rotation is concerned. Well, Giannis yeah. missed games two and games three. So, Portis got an opportunity to provide some more of a scoring punch in those particular games. So, there's no reason that uh, – I would think his scoring average – would go down when Giannis came back out. And he's more, in my opinion, a defender and, uh, you know, opportunistic score, get it on the offensive class. Maybe they kick it out to you on a long three on a, on a, on a play where there's uh, rotation issues and he can knock down a, you know, long jump shot. But offensively, I don't think that's what he was out there to do. I honestly just think they were out coached. Every move that Spolstra, Spolstra made, uh, it was tough for a uh, whole bud to, to match and to counter that. And, you know, Middleton was one player that we haven't brought up yet uh, this on the, on this series as well. So, you know, that, that factor as well, didn't, it did, wasn't anything that I thought that, um, that, you know, that the Bucks would have needed because they, they, they had played some stretches where, you know, without Middleton when they were on that winning streak, when he was, you know, injured, but um, I think overall they're going to need you know hit, hit the, make a decision on him as I believe he can opt out of his contract this summer. Yep. Yeah. No big decision to be made and uh, should be very interesting to see to see and watch what the Bucks end up deciding to do uh, to to try to recuperate from this. As we get to our second quarter here, let's talk a little bit new about the New York Knicks and World B's absence. Uh, the Knicks buried the Cavs and now sit in the driver's seat playing the Miami heat with home court advantage. Uh, Scott, you had talked a lot about uh, the Miami heat giving praise to both the coach and of course, Jimmy Butler. Uh, what's your initial take going into this series with uh, Jimmy Butler visiting the garden? Well, listen, the NBA is a, in in better state when the New York Knicks are relevant yeah. in the playoffs. I mean, let's just face it. The the biggest country in the United States, a basketball mecca uh, in Madison Square Garden. There was my favorite place to go on the road and play. There was nothing like going up against that hostile New York Knicks crowd, and they, you're foaming at the mouth. You got all the celebrities uh, courtside with Spike Lee, Spike Lee probably the, the leader uh, of that group. I think that's going to be a fantastic series. Obviously, the Knicks are playing some good ball right now, flat out embarrassed the Cleveland Cavaliers. You guys can get more into some of the player matchups. But Thibodeau, this guy has been around for a long time. He has gotten his team much like Spolstra. I think he will be able to make adjustments and match the coaching of Spolstra. Spolstra. Uh, so that's going to be a wash. But I'll let you guys wax more poetically on what you see on the fourth from the players. Um, I was listening to Gus Johnson a little bit. He started calling Jalen Brunson the Brunson Burner, which is like, that is a classic <laughs> nickname, boy. I'll tell you what, uh, as far as like nicknames go, that's on the short list of great ones. He is the straw that stirs the drink for that team. He gets into the paint. He breaks down the defense. He can score. He can dish. He's crafty. Donovan who? <laughs> yeah. And, and let's not, you know, fail to mention here, Jimmy Butler has quite the relationship with Tom Thibodeau, uh, the New York Knicks head coach. Obviously, he was drafted to the Chicago Bulls when Thibodeau was coach and then also, you know, traded there when he was the head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, uh, you know, Tom Thibodeau is definitely uh, a huge fan of Jimmy Butler, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how he decides to try to tame him here as he is – the hottest player in the NBA right now. I mean, obviously he's putting on some major numbers, putting the team on his back, leading that group. And uh, you know what I'm looking forward to the most in this series is, is probably 
just the historic history. I wish World B was here to elaborate on it, but of course they've had some nice run-ins in the past, back in the 90s, even 2000s with Allen Houston. Um, so we can just add another one here, a new chapter to that uh, Miami Heat-New York Knicks rivalry. Scott, do you have any memories from, from I, those? Oh, I, 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 the one that comes to my mind is Jeff Van Gundy's uh, draped around Alonzo Mourning's ankles uh, in, a, <laughs> in a brawl situation that happened in front of the uh, New York Knicks bench is always a classic moment in NBA history. Uh, Van Gundy trying to get out there with the players and, and break up uh, uh, a fight. So that one comes to mind. But those guys that you had mentioned, you know, that from between the 90s and the 2000s, uh, they have had some battles in the playoffs. Uh, I think it'll be a big, strong uh, physical series. Um, and, you know, it's, it's odd now because the Knicks have – have gone maybe from being the underdog against the Cleveland Cavaliers to being in, in embracing that role. Uh, now you'd have to say, well, they got the better record. They're the uh, favorites uh, with the home court advantage to win that series against the eighth seed Miami Heat. Both teams riding extreme amounts of momentum, which I love uh, in all yep. sports, but especially in basketball. I think the, the team that can impose their style of play, which is very similar, um, at at home and how the benches provide a lift to the starting group is going to have the ex- extreme edge because coaching is going to be even. I think the star power on both these guys between what you call them, the Brunson burner, which I remember yeah. burning myself on a Bunsen burner <laughs> in junior high school or high school. I can't remember which one it was, though. But though that's a, <laughs> so that's a great nickname. He's been so hot. He's been burning his opponents. <laughs> You know, my my favorite memory from that series with, with the Van Gundy and Alonzo was when P.J. Brown, like, picked up Charlie Ward and spiked him like a football. That was like, <laughs> at the, it was like, oh, you want to, you, you're a football player, huh? I think I'll just spike you. And I mean, P.J. just picked him up. That's what I remember. I mean, but, all right, speaking of our buddy, our absent friend, World Be Free, Mr. New York Nick, I heard a rumor that he called 1-800-Flowers and sent them to R.J. Barrett's house with a note (laughs) apologizing for bashing him all season. His numbers are solid, and his plus 21 in Game 5 was the best of any player on the court for either team, okay? Now, Scott, I have this question for you. In his post-game remarks, R.J. mentioned Derrick Rose, praising some of the wise advice that he got from him. How important is it for a team to have a Derrick Rose-like guy who doesn't even get his warm-ups off, right, but he's there in practice, he's on the plane, he's on the bus? How important is it to have a a player like that, kind of a big brother-slash-mentor for a younger team with with some, you know, young, talented dudes? Well, I'm glad you brought Derrick Rose up because if I was going to have to wax poetic on a Duke player and our, and, and uh, that was going to be real, real tough for me. So, uh, but yes, it, it makes a, a, a lot of difference in the, in the playoffs to have that wisdom, to have that know-how and, uh, you know, Rose has, has been around for a long time. He's seen a lot of scenarios. He's watched a lot of basketball. He's been involved in a lot of big moments. So to be able to help a younger player in the first time on this type of stage is huge. Yeah, I would agree with you there, Bruce. Obviously, R.J. Barrett, given the age gap between him and Rose, probably grew up idolizing Derrick Rose as one of the uh, younger stars in the league, obviously the youngest MVP of all time with the Chicago Bulls. I think it just instills confidence in him to have a guy – like Rose in his ear, encouraging him, obviously after even a missed shot, Hey, take the next one. That was a good look. Like it just, it gets, it gets guys going uh, ways coaches sometimes cannot when you have your peers, obviously mentor like a D Rose on your side. So uh, good, good question there, Bruce. I, I was thinking the same thing after seeing that quote. Now, last question here before we do get to break that I have is uh, let's go ahead and make our predictions. I'm going to take the Knicks in six. Scott, what do you got? You know, I, I, I think the Madison Square Garden at a home court advantage. Um, I think the players right now believe. Uh, I think the coaching is solid. Uh, I'll take the Knicks in seven. All right. Bruce? I, I, I'm going to go with the Knicks also. I think, you know, one of the unsung heroes for the Knicks uh, has been Mitchell Robinson. And I think Mitchell is going to do a pretty good job against Bam, who's really just such a tough cover for so many guys. But I think, you know – uh, 
Bam's going to have to make sure he's boxing Mitchell Robinson out because he's been pounding the glass. Uh, and you saw Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein absolutely outplay those two young bigs for Cleveland. So I think, you know, all things considered, if Julius Randle can regain some of his health, that makes this a little bit of an easier prediction for me. But with him a little bit on shaky ground, it's going to be tough. But I, I like the Knicks. And, and for the reasons that you guys mentioned, I mean, it's New York. They're going to have the crowd excitement um i i see the knicks uh probably in six all right and uh with that we obviously also have world beast prediction just in here uh knicks in three and uh with that we've reached our <laughs> halftime buzzer we'll take a quick break and come back with the second half and we're back with the start of the third quarter Let's shift our attention out west now as Golden State finally became Road Warriors as they had a huge Game 5 victory in Sacramento on Wednesday night, making it three straight wins now. And they do have the Kings against the ropes. Bruce, I'm going to start with you here. Uh, What's your big takeaway? Are you a believer in the Warriors now? Uh, Yeah, but I want to make a quick observation. It's got nothing to do with X's and O's. And then I got another question for Scott about it. Okay, perfect. Last uh, on Wednesday night, um, the Kings were collecting and being presented with hardware before the game. Mike Brown got his coach of the year trophy. Darren Fox got his Mr. Clutch Award. And I'll bet the Warriors were sitting on their bench watching this stuff saying motivation. Scott, your (laughs) thoughts. Oh, anything, anything a player can do at the NBA level to give them that little extra adrenaline pump, uh, they're going to take advantage. I know George used to say that he would create little things uh, that a player had slighted him in some way uh, to try to get himself motivated. So Steve Kerr, uh, a master coach, would use anything in his, in his uh, disposal to try to get his guys fired up to go out there and play a little harder. This young, scrappy Sacramento Kings team led by De'Aaron Fox has been absolutely so fun to watch. The big fella underneath, Sabonis, an absolute beast in that painted area. Reminds me of the old days of the 90s-style basketball. Heck, I remember playing against his father in, when I was in college when he was playing for then the Soviet Union. Uh, that's how far back I go. <laughs> I go in basketball. Um, so it, they're, a fun, they're a fun team to watch. You would have thought that this moment in the playoffs, but they would not be ready for it, but they have played well. Even the games that um, the Warriors have won, they've all been close. Losing that one at home, We'll see how that does to their psyche now as they have to go and get a victory or face elimination. I'm just curious about a a question about uh, DeMontis. And Ross, you can take this one as well. Um, I'm wondering, did the Draymond stomp take Sabonis out of his game a little bit? In the three games since that incident, his field goal percentage, his scoring, his rebounding, and his assist numbers are all down from his regular season averages. Okay, somewhat understandable, more intensity in the playoffs, whatever. But I'm wondering, did that stomp, you know, did does something like that leave a mark on your on your psyche when when you're out there? I mean, Russ, I know you know from a coaching standpoint, but Scott, how about you? I mean, you've you've probably seen things like that happen. Is there anything to my theory? I'm not 100% sure that it has damaged his psyche. Obviously, you talk about a guy like Steve Kerr, we mentioned Eric Spolster being uh, with 100 wins. I think Kerr's right behind him with either 99 or 98, right? These guys have done so much to probably to minimize an effectiveness of a player. They're throwing different looks at him, you know, whether they're going to double team him from the top, from the side, on the dribble. Uh, on the catch. So they're giving him some different looks and making it more challenging for him, no doubt, pushing him off his favorite spot, pushing him away from his strong and dominant hand. Uh, I, I don't know. I can say that the Draymond stomp is a direct res- result of that. I will say that the coaching staff has done a great job. That brain trust they have on that bench is phenomenal. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree with Scott there. I'm not so sure if that that moment would have played a pivotal piece and in, in, in why he has struggled a little bit. I think it's more so just uh, the Golden State Warriors understanding the concept of gang rebounding, obviously knowing they're you know undermatched down low against the guy as big and strong and as dominant as Sabonis is on the board. So 
they've been very good about staying mindful in regards to that. And let's face it, again, this Warriors team knows if they go ahead and produce a stop and they get the rebound, it's a long outlet and it's a wide open three pointer for someone on the other end. So they're obviously motivated to go ahead and get that one, one and done rebound as well. So um, I, I, they've done a tremendous job, big win um, as someone much like it sounds like Scott is I, I'm rooting for the Sacramento Kings, um, but I do think they are going to fall short here on the road in game six, because uh, I think Steph Curry and the Warriors smell blood. You know, it's it's funny. Steph and Draymond, you know, they get most of the attention. But Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, and Kevon Looney have been great in this series. Clay finally looks almost like himself again after recovering from his injuries over the past, like, three, four years. And Wiggins is out there with some fresh legs, right? I mean, he got a two, he had two months for the personal things. And obviously, you know, there was certainly mental strain on him and all that. But as far as the physical pounding, he had a two-month vacation pretty much, you know, two-thirds of the way through the season. He's out there with fresh legs. He's blocking shots. He's blocking over two shots a game in this series, right? Uh, he's making great mid-range shots. Clay is playing 36 minutes a game, which is up from his 33 during the regular season. And he's handling that extra workload pretty well. 63% on twos and almost 41% on threes. So he's stroking it. And, you know, and Wiggins is averaging more than 19. And, uh, you know, Looney's averaging 14 and a half rebounds, including more than four offensive rebounds a game. So Clay, you know, I mean, Steph is great. Draymond, you know, been great. But those three guys are, are the difference uh, in my mind. Well, you're right about Steph Curry. I mean, I think it all starts and, and stops with him. I, don't, I know there was some article about whether or not he is the best player in the NBA right now. I'm not 100% certain that it matters to Steph. He, he's all about putting another ring on his, on his finger. He's averaging over four made threes a game. Uh, he's in the top ten in scoring in the, in the playoffs. Um, he, he does a little bit of everything for his team. He makes the big shot. He stretches the defense. He opens up. I think rebounding opportunities for guys like uh, Looney, like Wiggins, uh, even even Thompson, who who does not get on the glass very often, can, can gets is getting a few extra rebounds and more than he normally does. So I think it all starts and stops with the way that the uh, chef is out there cooking. Absolutely, and I think another guy I want to give some credit to here. Obviously, Darren Fox's status going into Game Five was up with the. Uh, the left index finger uh, at the top of it being uh, fractured, not knowing if he'd play or how much he'd play. That dude balled out. I mean, he gave it his all, played 41 minutes, which was a team high, 24 points, 9 of 25 shooting. I mean, this guy went out there, gave it a, gave it his all, and gave his team a chance. And at the end of the day, that's really all you can ask of the guy. And uh, I, I was a little nervous whether or not he'd even play and suit up, just not knowing – how bad it was, but were you guys surprised to see him jack up 25 shots and dish out nine assists? Like it, it seems like the, the fractured uh, finger didn't bother him. Well, he seems like a superstar to me. I, I thought this, this was what we would see from this kid from day one in the NBA. I know he was on that, you know, the, the losing end on a lot of teams there. They were trying to struggle and find out what the right coach for him was going to be. Mike Brown has done a fantastic job with this this young team, obviously, coach of the year this year, well-deserved for Coach Brown. I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him for two years in Cleveland as I was the broadcaster there, the way he motivates and encourages young players. He got the Cavaliers to the NBA Finals, and he's doing this, doing a great job with this young mix that he has out there in Sacramento. I'm with you, Ross. I just think when it's when it, the, the lights are the brightest, the stars figure out a way to get it done. LeBron James doing it with the Lakers, you know, has his team on the verge of advancing to the next round after a slow start against Memphis. Now, um, a, a Steph Curry coming back from that 0-2 hole that they were down in to win three straight may have snatched the confidence from this young Kings team. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it was a courageous effort by uh, Darren Fox. I mean, he was out there um, with his finger – uh, playing through it. And I think he shot like nine out of 25, but he was doing everything that he could to kind of keep his team in the game. Uh, it wasn't quite enough, but again, it was funny when we did the show on Monday night, I was talking about how 
in game one, Trey Lyles had a really good game and then, you know, basically did nothing since. And last night, Stan Van Gundy said the exact same thing. I mean, Trey Lyles isn't a guy you talk about a whole lot, but, I, you know, he noticed it too. Um, so they need, they're going to need something from a guy like Trey Lyles. You know, Malik Monk gives them, you know, a lot. Uh, and, you know, the, the rookie, you know, Keegan, you know, does a great job. But they just, you know, if De'Aaron Fox is going to be laboring and, and courageously, I might add, they, they're going to need a little bit more help, you know, and, and maybe this is Sabonis's moment to shine. You know, maybe maybe he figures out, you know, figures things out in, in game six. But, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine uh, Golden State losing that game, knowing that they'd have to go on the road for game seven. And speaking of Sabonis, the one thing that surprised me looking at the box score here, of course, I was locked in most of the time on uh, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, game there. Uh, no surprise to any of you guys. But uh, I thought Sabonis would have more assists. He only had four assists in this game. And uh, with De'Aaron Fox obviously on the mend with that hand, I thought a little bit more of the offense might be ran through Sabonis, elbow catches, even down low in the post and doing some split actions up top. Um, I'm assuming a lot of that didn't happen again. I didn't watch enough of the game to, to go ahead and critique that, but just surprised that a guy like that only ended with four assists and De'Aaron Fox had nine um, and Fox's first game back with that broken finger. So, you know, maybe that could be another look is trying to run that offense a little bit more uh, through, through Sabonis and getting some of those Kings wings off the ball. I, I agree. I'm going to add before we move on to the next topic about that, because I look at a guy, like Jokic out there in Denver and what he did in that closeout game. He wasn't so much worried about being the leading scorer, and Jamal Murray went to 35, 4, and 5. But the, the numbers, the triple-double, the 28, 17 boards, the 12 assists, I, I those numbers I'm not going to say Sabonis can recreate, but I think just having a, a more well-rounded stat sheet like that of, a, uh, of Jokic, you know, maybe he goes for – you know, 25 points, gets himself 10 boards, 10 assists, eight to 10 assists. Those would be kind of things I think that they, a performance that they're going to need from him next time they step on the floor. No doubt. And uh, for our fourth and final quarter, drum roll, please. Scott, I think you're going to be really looking forward to this one. How about a Phoenix Suns Denver Nuggets second round preview? And Scott, <laughs> I have been seeing you at a lot of Suns games here recently throughout the playoffs. So, I'm going to start with you and kind of just get your early take on what you think about uh, these two guys matching up. Well, this is going to be a great series, first of all. Uh, and I, as I have been at a lot of Suns games, in fact, they have not lost a game that I have been to since they've gotten KD oh, uh, right. back in, in, a, in a Suns uniform. Uh, and I'm a huge KD fan, and that's the reason why he's my favorite player in the, in the league. I think he does so much for the Suns team. Having said all that, Devin Booker, uh, apologies yes, to yes. Jimmy to Jimmy Butler, has been the MVP of this first round of these playoffs. The kid has absolutely been fantastic. He's second in the NBA uh, in scoring right now. Uh, at excuse me, look at looks at looks at his notes. Thirty seven point six points per game. He's first in steals at two point six steals a game. Oh, and he's first in field goal percentage, shooting sixty percent. From, from the field overall, his two-point field goal percentage has been astronomical. He's in the top five and three-point shots made per game. Uh, he has been absolutely doing a great job defensively. I thought he did a really good job uh, of getting on the glass. And, and, and after game one where he had uh, zero rebounds, he, he did a much better job of getting on the glass, which was a huge problem for for the Suns in that first half. So they did a wonderful job keying in on KD, who's eighth in the league in scoring right now, doing a good job. But Devin Booker has been fantastic. Now, how that translates against the Denver Nuggets when they're they're not going up against the L.A. Clippers who didn't have their, their top two players uh, in Leonard and George, uh, the, 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 the Nuggets are, are loaded. We talked about Jokic's triple-double, uh, Murray, going for 35 in a clinched game. He can go for between 25 and 40 on a nightly uh, basis, shooting a high percentage and get to the rack and get to that free throw line. They got solid players and, and Aaron um, Gordon uh, and the other big guy is Michael Porter. 
So, you know, I, I think Porter doesn't get as much respect as a scorer as I think he's capable of putting up anywhere between 16 and 20 points a night. Uh, I think that kind of depends on the flow of the offense and how Jokic is going, how he's distributing that basketball, how Murray, how Murray is going. Their, their bench, they were averaging about 20 points a game for the first four basketball games. Uh, and then they, they, they had a solid game at 17 off their bench in the closeout game. Like I said, that they had uh, Jokic and Murray doing the bulk of the scoring in that game. But they're a solid club. They're well coached. Mike Malone is a fantastic coach. Had a chance to spend some time with him my last year in Cleveland as well. So this is going to be a tough matchup for Monty Williams and crew. The Suns bench has not lived up to their end of the bargain yet. The number one and number two uh, minutes played is between uh, KD and Booker, respectively. So they're going to need some moments, especially at altitude. Uh, those can't run those guys out there the way they've been running them out there, 43.8 and 43.2 minutes per game over what I think is going to be a grueling six- or seven-game series. That was a point that I was absolutely planning to make. I'm glad you did that. I mean, you know, 44 minutes a game, 43 minutes a game. Even Chris Paul is playing big minutes so far. You know, he's playing – He's averaging like uh, like 38, 39 minutes a game in this series. Uh, humble brag, uh, I'll actually be at game one on Saturday night. I'll be producing that game for ESPN Radio. So I'll have one of the best seats in the house. Looking forward to seeing uh, Book and KD and Joker up close. So uh, And our broadcast position will be right next to the Phoenix bench. So, uh, you know, if you watch the game and somebody, you know, says, oh, I saw that guy on YouTube. Anyway, so... <laughs> That's 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 pure hoops, Bruce. Who the hell yeah. knew? Uh, but uh, you know, it's Chris Paul has just been remarkable. He's he's not getting the shine because of Booker and KD, but he is doing Chris Paul things. Almost thirty nine minutes a game, orchestrating the offense beautifully, scoring almost fourteen, six boards, more than two steals, more than eight assists, and a nearly seven to one assist to turnover ratio, which he's always had a great assist to turnover ratio. Some would say, cause he never likes to make home run passes where he's really gambling. I had a former teammate of his on the Clippers tell me that one time that he didn't want to go for home runs. Cause he was worried about turning the ball over. That said, Greg Anthony said something about him when he was a young player and we were working together. He said, this is a direct quote. He get what gotta get got which is basically his way of saying he he get what got to get got. And I mean, he, it was true then and it's true now. You know, for me looking at this series and kind of just anticipating what we might be looking forward to here, I'm really looking forward to some of these individual matchups. I mean, can Chris Paul defend Jamal Murray, who's been on a tear? That's going to be a big challenge, especially in the altitude. You look on the wings, I like Bruce Brown probably being the best defensive assignment for Devin Booker, kind of a physical guard that that matches him, same height. Uh, you know, does Can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he stay down when, when Booker is trying to draw fouls with the pump fakes and the sweep throughs, things of that nature? And then the other big one, of course, would be who's guarding Kevin Durant on the Denver Nuggets. I mean, they've got two guys with great size, Mark, Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. If I'm Mike Malone, I'm probably starting with Aaron Gordon as the more experienced guy going up against KD. But, Scott, I wanted to get your take on that. I mean, if you're the Nuggets, who, who do you start on KD? Is it Gordon or do you go with just the pure size and Porter being 6'11"? Well, you better not leave. Whoever you put on them, better not leave them out on the island all by themselves. KD is just <laughs> too, too good, too crafty. He averages more. Uh, he shoots, first of all, he shoots 90% from the free throw line. He gets calls. He's very crafty getting himself to the free throw line. You don't want that starter to, to uh, pick up needless fouls when you can run a half a body or another body at KD, force him to give up that basketball. He's going to be a tough matchup, uh, I think. You know, you got Jeff Green uh, coming off of that bench. I think he's Good a point. guy that has some live, you know, some something left in his legs still been around for a long time. He's got experience. He's watched the played against KD quite a bit in his career. He might be somebody that you can put on KD as well. Yeah, he actually played Jeff with Green's KD remarkable. too. No, I'm sorry. I think Jeff Green's remarkable. I mean, for a 37-year-old guy to have the kind of lift that he still has, I mean, it's – I mean, there aren't many. 
right? No. Yeah. I mean, there aren't many. He can jump right out of the gym, even at age 37. Wow. And Scott, you played for the Nuggets, so I do got to ask. We brought up the altitude. I mean, how much of a difference does that make? Like, is that noticeable uh, when you got opposing teams coming in to to play the Nuggets as a as a Nuggets player? Yeah, I was hoping. I, you know, obviously I have no, no no say in any of this stuff, but I was thinking it might be smart for the for the Suns to take off tomorrow versus the traditional go in the day before the game, actually have a full practice. Uh, what they're going to do, obviously, they're not going to be doing any banging, but to go up, do you know, get sure. some get sure. some run and in that altitude, you know, fifty two hundred feet's a little different than playing down here. What in the valley about two thousand something like that, eighteen hundred? Uh, it has an effect on your lung capacity, your wing, your 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 lungs burn a little different uh, when you're competing at the high level, which you have to obviously uh, in the playoffs. So having players get it, it, you can get used to it. Um, the problem that I always had is we'd have a couple games at home, then we'd go down and play out in Los Angeles down at sea level and come back, and I felt you had to acclimate all over again after having left just for uh, three or four days. So um, that'll be interesting to see how the Suns can respond to that. Like I say, they got some guys in KD and um, Booker that are leading this NBA just under 44 minutes per basketball game. That's going to be – Something that they're going to have to have to deal with. Will they put oxygen on the bench for these guys? Can they do, put oxygen on the bench for these guys? I think they can. So they might be they might be hitting that uh, canister a few times. I know I I can go up to Telluride, which is about ten thousand five hundred feet, coming from this you know from the desert here, in the Valley of the Sun. I got to get one of those Boost Mobile cans, or I start getting headaches and get lightheaded with any type of little activity, especially if I had a a pop or two going out and celebrating the, in the evening. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how, you know, they, they play that. Can they get him some rest? You know, they got came campaign back. He only played three minutes um, in game number five. Will he be a guy that can take a little bit of the load off of Chris Paul uh, having to bring the ball up? Can he, he you know, spell Devin Booker, keep his minutes, try to keep him fresh for the fourth quarter? You know, I'm I'm wondering, you know, one of the toughest assignments for anybody in this series is going to be DeAndre Ayton having to go up against Nikola Jokic. I mean, you know, the Joker always gets his numbers because he's the Joker and he gets his numbers. But if Ayton makes him work for them and holds his own on the boards, I mean, that's that would probably be, a, you know, a successful series for him, even if he doesn't get any points, I would assume, right? Just to try and keep him away from the basket as best he can. 100%. I mean, it's a mismatch. The guy's the, the, an MVP. I think Monty's going to know that. He's not going to look eight and out on an island all by himself to try to go up against this guy one-on-one. He's obviously going to step him off and play out of the high post. He has court vision and his ability with size and length to be able to pass around and over uh, double teams and even eight. And I will say this, Jokic has said here recently that one of the guys that um, guards him the toughest is DeAndre Ayton. So maybe Aiton knows a little bit more about the Joker's game than what I'm going to give him credit for. But uh, I don't want to see, you know, Aiton going out there and picking up two fouls in the first quarter in every ball game. That's not going to be real good. He doesn't need to score. That's the beautiful thing about it. He can average 10 to 15 points a game as long as he's getting on that glass uh, and grabbing, you know, 10 to 15 rebounds a game. That would be fantastic, especially anytime he gets over 12 rebounds in a basketball game, which you think he should be able to do um, if he applies himself. And I know that the double-double, is better than him going for 20 plus points. If he's around that, yeah, I can say, let's say 14 to 16 and then 12 to 15 rebounds, you're getting some good production if he's providing solid defense. Want to hear just a quick number on Jokic in the previous series? His field goal percentage was actually higher on his three point shots than on his twos, which I found kind of amazing. Wow. 50 to 48, 50 from downtown, 48 from inside the arc. Nice little stat there. And uh, so with that, let's get to our predictions here. I'm going to go to the Suns in seven. I think this will go the full length here, but uh, I'm a big believer in what I'm seeing from the Suns wings, wing stars and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. So I got Suns in seven. Scott? Well, you know, I'm a huge Suns fan living here in the Valley 20 plus years. I'm rooting real hard for this team. I'm not a form believer yet in, in Denver in the playoffs. 
I think the Suns can steal a game on the road. I think they play really well here at home. Um, I think the Clippers gave them a wake-up call in game number one is I think they were living off the hype that they'd be in the NBA Finals, much like the Bucks. But the, the Suns were able to recover and focus on the series at hand. Obviously, the loss of um, Kawhi Leonard uh, was a big factor in that, as well as the claw was phenomenal always in the playoffs. But I'm going, to, I'm going with you. I, I think this is going to be a hard fought. Again, another seven-game series prediction for me. I know I have the, the Knicks and Heat going seven as well. I'm also saying that this one's going to go a full seven games. I'm going to give it the the edge, even though they'd have to go on the road uh, to Denver and try to win a game seven. I'm going to think that KD, uh, the master that he is on the floor, is going to find a way to get his and, – and with Paul George and Devin Booker playing the way they are, they'll find a way to get it done. If it if it's a six game series, I say Phoenix. If it's a seven game series, I say Denver. So I guess Ooh, I'm kind okay. of splitting the baby there. But I think if it gets to seven, I think some of those guys on Phoenix, as Scott alluded to in one of his earlier comments, they're going to be playing a lot of minutes. And you know, they're not. A, you know, I mean, KD's getting up there. You know, Booker's in his prime. But I think the altitude eventually is going to wear them down. Uh, but again, I think Phoenix could win the series. I just think if they do it. They're going to have to do it at home in game six. Otherwise, Nuggets in seven. All righty. And uh, with that, as we get to wind down our show here, Scott, we wanted to have some fun with you with some word association. So we're going to give you a word or, in this case, a name. And you come up and give us the word that first comes to mind. And if you want to elaborate, feel free. So we're going to toss you a softball layup here with uh, Michael Jordan, number one. Competitor. The fiercest competitor that I've ever played with. Um, never, no competition that he ever backed down for. The, he's an extremely hard worker. That gave him confidence to be able to deliver for his team when the lights uh, were, the, were the brightest on the stage was the biggest. You saw this guy as a rookie. He was a teammate of yours in Philadelphia, Allen Iverson. Underachiever. Um, I know this guy's in the Hall of Fame, so it's hard to paint a player as an underachiever that it reaches the Hall of Fame. But I think that was ultimately his number one goal, especially when he was a young player with me. He cared more about his own success and his own legacy than he did about the team's success. Wow. Never won and, and, and I will say that, that he never won an NBA championship as a result of not being able to sacrifice uh, some of his game or to lead his team in a way to make it uh, to win a championship. All right, this one's for all my Suns fans out there and obviously one of my favorite players growing up, Sean Marion. <laughs> Athleticism. <laughs> the Matrix <laughs> could do it all. He could score the ball. He could rebound the ball. He could run the wing. He had a funky little shot, but he somehow managed to squirt it in that basket. <laughs> uh, fantastic teammate uh, to play with. But, uh, boy, was he electric above the rim. Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Mouthy. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think this kid needs to learn how to shut his mouth uh, and go out there and just ball. Uh, he woke the sleeping dragon and LeBron James. His team would have had a much better chance, I think, of getting to that next round uh, had he not poked the bear, as he says. Uh, as, as much as, as Michael was a competitor, so is LeBron James. He does not care about being as uh, dominant the way that uh, Michael Jordan was, where he gave his opponents fear on a nightly basis. Uh, and, and rip the confidence from him. But when you poke the bear and you get LeBron to find that gear, I think Dylan Brooks found out what that's all about. <laughs> well said. All right, last one from me. A little bit of a curveball here. Victor Wembamyama. Different. I don't <laughs> know if I've ever seen a player with that height uh, in – overall skill package and I don't know the player from other than the highlight reels guys so I've never sat and watched this game play a, sure. a whole basketball yeah. game but what I see 
from the highlight packages, and everyone's got a highlight tape. Hey, I look good on a highlight tape. Let me just show you that. I'll share that one with you guys off, off, off air. But what I see from this kid's ability at a young age to have so many different skill sets, passing the ball, bringing the ball up the floor, the jump shot from inside, outside with touch around the basket, finishes, um, you know, what I would consider, you know, he's, he's, he's thin. I'm not going to say with power of a Charles Oakley, but he finishes the way a big should finish around the painted area. Uh, he's cat quick. I remember a player that's, what is he, seven five that could do those yeah. types of things uh, on the basketball floor at such a young age. I mean, Akeem Elijah one had all those types of footwork. You know, that he's got the, he's got the length of a Sean Bradley, but a desire um, of a Kevin Durant. So, this this is going to be a game changer when this guy finally gets to make his NBA debut. I'm looking forward to it. I had about three more that I wanted to ask you, but I know we're running short on time, so I'm going to limit it to one. I'm taking you back to Chapel Hill, Uh-oh. Dean Smith, Coach Smith. Yeah, uh, boy, I tell you that one. That one chokes me up a little bit. There's so many things that come to to mind uh, when you mention Coach Smith, and I, I'll just say decency. The, the man, as for as much as he cared about winning basketball games, um, he was a decent man, not, not just from uh, coaching his players, but being civic-minded, having sitting in on sit-ins in the '60s uh, with, with with black students, not players, black students uh, in Chapel Hill, integrating restaurants, uh, strong Christian man. The decency, I think, factor for for me that was made the thing that I remember most about the love that he had for all of his players, uh, the decent man that he was, the uh, pioneer, I guess, in coaching. Obviously, the success in the Hall of Fame will go go along with that. But um, I get choked up thinking about how he changed my life. I write about it in my book, Through the Fire, uh, that's available on Amazon. Uh, right. and so I, I was ready to give up on some of my goals and my dreams after the loss of my parents and he would not let me. And that, and that was something that, um, uh, I'm always being indebted for him to him. Can I just ask one more quick question about coach Smith Ross before we say goodbye? Of course. Brad, Brad, Brad Darty had told me, and I think it was pretty well publicized. He, he left all of his former players a check. Did you, did you frame the check? Do you still have that? Is that behind you on that oh, wow. wall there? I, I don't know if I'm uh, – yeah, if I can get it in there, yes. But uh, the letter from Coach Smith from his estate along with the check for $200 uh, and a couple of his basketball cards. I don't know how I found uh, – uh, I didn't even know Coach Smith had basketball cards, but I had them all framed, um, and I take them wherever I go with me. But, uh, you know, he just – he loved – like I say, when you were a varsity player, whether you went on to be a businessman or – a uh, NBA ball player, uh, he wanted he he left us with a little something. Let know that even as he was passing, he was thinking about us. Wanted us to go out have a steak dinner, maybe a, a glass of wine on on him for what we did for him. But it was he that did so much more for all of us that we can never uh, repay him for the, the lives that we've been able to live because of the things that he taught us in Chapel Hill. That's beautiful, Scott. Thank you for sharing those thoughts. That really that I I can. See from your emotions how touched you were, your life has been by him. Awesome stuff, Scott. I uh, want to thank you uh, for sharing that story as well as having some fun with us here. Uh, once again, your book is out now. Obviously, I've seen it in a few bookstores here in the Valley yeah. around Phoenix. But uh, how's everything going real quickly on that? And if you want to plug how people can go ahead and find that or where they can find you online, where I'm sure you promote it. Yeah, the uh, book sales are going good, Ross. Thanks for acting. Had my first uh, book signing of my life, which was a weird feeling. I was so nervous that nobody would show up, but Stan signed uh, copies of the book for two hours straight in Chapel Hill, wow. which was a bit oh, of a nice. which was a bit of a layup actually. So <laughs> we'll see we'll see how we go from there. But it's in Barnes and Noble uh, here um, uh, at Scottsdale in the 101, probably uh, shortly uh, at Desert Ridge out here in Scottsdale. Looking to do a book signing and card signing in Chicago this weekend. Um, nice. So that's going well. But it's available on Amazon. Um, 
Scottwilliams.com. Obviously, just put it in through the fire or Scott Williams book. It pops right up. It's available in Kindle, uh, paperback, and hardcover, as well as you can get it on barnesandnoble.com and, and a paperback version as, as well. But most importantly, having written this book and now that it's out there, uh, I get real, I get raw, I get you know emotional and just tell a lot about my family history growing up. And I've had people that I don't even know open up and share with me about some of the trauma that they had in their life with either domestic violence or, or sexual abuse or whatever whatever situations that might might have uh, you know led to them to have some childhood trauma. Uh, and then that's been great trying to you know hear these stories and connect with people and let them know uh, that they're, they're not alone, be both my age and much younger than me. So uh, that that's the, the biggest thing now, keeping people mental health. Uh, it used to be looked at as a sign of weakness in the, in the 80s and the 90s, and now people are doing a better job of, of trying to recognize and uh, step in and help people uh, that have issues uh, with, with trauma so they can get some help and not lead them to a path. Uh, Cause I've had some dark days. I, I know what those, those feelings, they start creeping into your mind and depression and everything else take hold. Um, and I was lucky to be in Chapel Hill uh, during that time with coach Smith and having the lock in on practice. That was kind of my therapy, but uh, people need to realize like they're not alone uh, and that they can get help. Awesome. Happy to hear things are going well with the book. Congrats again. Uh, really excited for you sharing your story and hope our listeners will go out and purchase a copy and uh, go ahead and support that. So uh, with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented by Bet Online. Want to again thank Scott Williams for joining the show here on 48 Minutes. Scott, you're welcome anytime. And uh, we will be back with all of you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great weekend, everyone.